0: What I want to do this morning, uh, among a, a few things, is kind of just share a little bit uh, of little stories about some pictures about the summer. And then I want to kind of go into a few learnings. A few learnings that God reminded me. and This is not going to be anything new. Uh, but a few reminders of what is essential, I think, for the life in Christ and just for life in general. And those will be in your teaching notes. But first of all, I just want to begin with um, some pictures here. So one of the things that I did this summer— is a friend and a friend of mine and i we just said you know what let's 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 like look at the top 10 restaurants in minneapolis so every saturday we would hit a different one this is the cafe Croc. if you've been there before in the warehouse district and it was a great setting great food there so every saturday we went to a new restaurant next one is the 112 eatery anybody eaten there before fabulous food some of you need to get out more often and every Saturday, we went to a different restaurant, and it was so much fun, especially just spending time in Minneapolis, conversation, good food, having um, uh, some nice talks with the servers, and just being in the city. I love uh, the city of Minneapolis and St. Paul as well. Let's go to the next one. And then because I ate so much food, I had joy in lifetime fitness. <laughs> so I working with a trainer over there and uh, trying to lose some of the weight that I gained from from eating so much, and I'm doing a race uh, actually next month uh, as well. I had to postpone that a little bit. But anyways, uh, Lifetime in uh, Plymouth is like a mile and a half from my townhouse, so I went there a lot and really enjoyable time. Met some new people too, some new friends. Let's go to the next one. And because of my running, um, I was up at Grandview Lodge, and I was running on a trail that was unfamiliar to me, and it was uh, close to dusk. And I took a wrong turn and had a face plant, ran the cement on that trail. I was very, I was very lucky I didn't break my hand. And, uh, cause I, I kind of came down, there was grass here and then the, the cement, and I put my hand down, but my head just bopped off the cement. So uh, black eye, big contusion across the forehead, uh, cut on the chin, Uh, and, but the important thing, I wasn't injured enough to play in my club championship at my golf course, so I was okay. (laughs) That was very important to me. All right, let's go to the next one. And some of the things I did in the summer too is I spent a lot of time with these guys. That's Riley, my springer, he's the male on the top there. And then Macy uh, is female, Riley's 10, Macy's uh, 12. And spent a a lot of walks, a lot of evening walks around my area in Plymouth on the trails there and just quiet time. And really had some some downtime. It was really nice. And in fact, on, on one of the uh, one of the walks that we had, I thought I was going to do another face plant because Riley, uh, the dog on the top there, he's actually trained as a hunting dog. I don't hunt, but we uh, we adopted him from the Springer Spaniel Rescue, and he's trained. And he saw a rabbit, and that leash that I had, all of a sudden, and he just took off. And fortunately. Um, the leash went out of my hand, but I was, I was fortunate enough to catch up and, and get the leash. But I thought I was going to lose the dog because he was into the woods. All right, next one. And one of the things I did this summer too is I took a. I, I'm working on my doctor class in a very part-time manner. And one of the classes I took was on Henry Nowen, and it was so rich in how, how God used Henry. If you don't know anything about Henry, Henry was a former Catholic priest, became a best-selling author. And really a spiritual guide for a number of people, especially around during the 80s and 90s. And a lot of things that we experience in Christianity today really come out of the, the groundbreaking work from, from Henry Nowen when it comes to the spiritual life. And I had the, the uh, fortunate um, opportunity to actually study uh, this class on Henry Nowen, read about seven of his books Uh, His most uh, well-known one is The Return of the Prodigal Son. Some of you read that before where he went to St. Petersburg in Russia, sat down for about three hours in front of Rembrandt's painting of The Prodigal Son, and then he later wrote a book based on his experience through that. And if you haven't read that before, I encourage you to write that down. It's called The Return of the Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. It's his best-known book. And I was able to take this class. Let's go to the next picture. That's chapter 4 here. I just want to read a very a statement that really rocked my world this summer. And it says this here on the fourth line. It is, it is there that our changing relationship to ourselves can be brought to fruition in an ever-changing relationship to our fellow human beings. It is there that our reaching out to our innermost being can, can lead to a reaching out to the many strangers whom we meet on our way through life. In our world full of strangers, estranged from their own past, culture, and country, from their neighbors, friends, and family, from their deepest self and their God, we witness a painful search for a hospital place where life can be lived. And that was one of the things that God really called in me was to be open, to be open to random experiences and conversations with people I I didn't know. And I'm going to share about that in in some of my main points. But um, as I studied Henry, and then I was able to—next picture— uh, this is Dr. Jim Smith uh, from Bethel Seminary, San Diego. He was in town a couple weeks ago, and uh, Dr. Smith was a graduate fellow under Henry at Harvard University, and they were best friends. And I had the uh, just grand opportunity to, to really study under Dr. Smith and really get the inside look on Henry and his life, and etc. And Dr. Smith is this, this brilliant guy. In fact, he's one of those guys where because we had because he was in San Diego most of the summer, we would have 45-minute hour conversations almost every week. And I would ask him, you know, I would prepare questions and send them in advance to him. And then uh, as we met in St. Paul a couple weeks ago, I returned back to a question that I had asked earlier on um, that he reminded me that I asked before. I couldn't remember that, but I said, uh, Dr. Smith, you know, tell me about Henry's um, experience at Harvard, and, and as you studied under him, you know, what really stood out to you about Henry, if you were to summarize that? And he, he's one of those guys like, yeah, you asked that question uh, back in June, but I'm happy to illuminate uh, that question with some answers. <laughs> it's one of those guys, I'm like, oh, okay. So absolutely brilliant, and it, just a charming fellow, and uh, great laughter together, too. So that was really nice. Well, I, I want to jump in this morning. and just t- really talk about a few takeaways for me from the summer. And again, these are going to be very basic. These are going to be very very much like, oh, uh, this is something I already know, but um, uh, God really reminded me of this. And I think oftentimes uh, God is not really necessarily teaching us new things as he, uh, as he is reminding us. If you look at the history of God's people, the Israelites, over and over and over and over again, he reminds them, he reminds them, and I think a lot of the Bible is reminding us of things that God has shown us. So if you have a Bible, like you to turn to Exodus chapter 16, verse 23. Because one of uh, the takeaways for me this summer, one of the lessons that, that uh, stood out to me is simply one word, space. And not like space, the final frontier, but space having some capacity in life because I didn't have commitments. I didn't have an itinerary. I didn't have five meetings, you know, uh, each day. But I had this also in the space. And at first, it was a little bit unnerving to have that kind of opportunity where um, I kind of decide on what to do. And it was liberating. And it reminded me of the importance of the, the Sabbath, having that as a rhythm in our life, having space because God's people that's a little background before we get to Exodus 16 they're coming out of Egypt where they're working 7 days a week 7 days a week non-stop and some of you are like yeah I work 7 days a week that's not healthy in fact, they're working seven days a week. Scholars believe that the uh, sort of average age or the average uh, uh, duration of a person in, uh, in Egypt in that time, Israelites typically would live to be about 40 years old because they're working themselves to death. And that was true of a lot of the neighboring tribes and nations. Yet God comes along, Yahweh, God comes along and he's a particular God. He's different from the other gods. That the other nations are are worshiping. And one of the ways that he's different is right smack here in Exodus 16, verse 23. First time Sabbath is mentioned, by the way. This is God. He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of complete rest. Circle that that phrase, complete rest. A holy Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. And he tells them, don't bake or boil, etc. And for me, uh, during the Sabbath, I realized the importance of Sabbath. And I lost that. Even though I preached a sermon not too long ago before my sabbatical on Sabbath. But I think pastors are, are actually the, the worst offenders of this. It seems like we're always working. And yet, during the summer, I realized the importance to have space. To, to have some margin in my life. To have room for the important things. And also having room just to not do anything. And I think for some of us, it's like, it's like if we can't, if we're not doing something, we start sort of like hyperventilating. Something has to be done. The grass has to be mowed. Landscaping has to— I, I just, There were several days I just sat at home. Sat at home, read a book, hung out with my dogs, and that was it. And it felt good. And it was through that process, and I would call that Sabbath living— that God recharged my batteries. And some of you are here this morning. You're like, if, if I simply had two hours of space in my, in my schedule, that would be enough. But I want to challenge you. It's your choice, your schedule. What you commit to is your choice. And I had a number of invitations to do things in the summer, and I learned the art of saying no. And I'm committed to go forward with that. That, that saying no needs to happen. And a lot of us are reluctant due to that because we don't want to let down that person. or we don't want to let down uh, that, that group over there because perhaps they'll, they'll, they'll think of less of us. But you have to say no in order to guard your schedule, to guard your life. Because it isn't just for schedule, for schedule's sake. It's actually what God did in my soul during this time to have rest, and then to go out and just go for a run when I didn't fall on my face. Uh, but just to exercise, or perhaps to have coffee with a long-lost friend. That's what actually would happened. I, 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 and I'm going to get this in, this in a second when I talk about community, but just having space to have time with old friends that I was too busy for before. And you know, when God does that in our lives, when he creates that space, it's amazing what I call these sort of di- divine interventions where, where it's nothing big. It's, it's not like the stars are moving and, 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 you know, the moon turns red or something. But these ordinary, uh, everyday sort of opportunities God would throw my way where I wasn't in a hurry. It took me about two weeks to get past that. When I hit my third week of the sabbatical, it was like, whew, I wasn't hurried. I felt like I could move slower. I began to lose track of which day of the week it was. That was a good sign, by the way. Garbage day for me is Wednesday. This happened twice. I brought my garbage on Monday night. (laughs) That was a good sign. Wore my watch. I wear watches all the time. I think I wore my watch once the entire summer. And, And Oz Guinness talks about in a book called Reclaiming Time. And some of us need to do that, to slow it down, to have the space in our lives. And why would God want to do that? Is God simply doing this with the Israelites and for us today? Because it still applies today. And I would say it doesn't have to be a Sunday. It can be any day of the week. As as Jesus reminds us, uh, man was not made for Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. And and when he's talking to the Pharisees about this this legalism um, in the New Testament, and It's up to you, though, to to carve that out in your schedule. To say, okay, if you can't do a full day, how about half a day? Half a day where you just kind of let go of everything, turn the phone off. And I did that a number of times. I was off social media for nine and a half weeks. That was so good for me. A lot of times my phone was off as well. But but just taking time like that. and, And why... Would God do that? It's a means to an end because God wants to do something in our lives and what he wanted to do for the Israelites. Jeremiah chapter 29, if you have a Bible, verse 11, or you can follow along in the teaching notes. The whole idea of space, of having Sabbath, of having the capacity for the important things in life is really centered on what God wants to do in your life and my life. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It's a well-known passage. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for mediocrity? No. Sub average, uh, Eking it out? No. For good. In the Hebrew, it's actually, it's a it's it's, it's it's actually a great, and Jesus actually rephrases this in John 10.10, 10, a good and better life. The life abundant. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's a promise. He wants you to live a good life. And some of you, I think that you, you have maybe you've been away from church for a, long, for a while or perhaps your upbringing. And I've had conversations with people um, as we talked in coffee shops, the golf course, this random, random occurrences. And it's like they come out of a certain context and, and they have this view of God. And, and, uh, you know, and I, oftentimes I think we, we make God in our image rather than the opposite. We make God into a certain expectations or a certain experiences out of the past. One person I was talking to uh, a few weeks ago is, was guilt. He, he, he was burdened with guilt for the longest time because guilt was a part of his spiritual formation growing up. And we had a great conversation for a couple hours around letting that go. And I said, God doesn't want you to live a life of guilt. He, he has plans for you, plans for good. Your teaching notes. I'd like you to underline that word good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope there's hope in God so no matter where you're at no matter where you're at you might be in financial straits you might be coming off a divorce you might be coming off of a layoff at work you might be coming off uh, wherever fill in the blank God knows but God has a plan for your life and it's a plan for good you have a future and you have a hope and, and when we kind of create that space in our life and take time on a regular basis, we begin to hear this plan that God has. And I think it's by having space, having Sabbath living, that we're reminded again of what God is trying to do in us to refuel us, to rejuvenate us for this good life. And if you're not taking that time, then you forget or you miss out on what I believe is what God wants to do in our lives to bring good. Slowing down. And I think, again, for us, it's to say no. The second lesson that, that was a takeaway for me was community. Again, no like earth-shaking uh, uh, sort of lesson, but I was reminded again the importance of community, that you and I are not meant to live life alone. And, and a lot of us have casual relationships. I'm talking about deep relationships. Who are those two or three people that you have in your life? if you don't pray, I remember remember praying uh, back when I first started in in pastoral ministry a number of years ago, I didn't have that person in my life. I began to pray, God, please bring up like a best friend, a a couple of best friends in my life that are either in ministry or that can can understand me, that we could do life together. And he answered that prayer. Took about a year of praying that. But if you pray that over and over, God will bring somebody in your life. Community is important. And community is not important just with those who uh, are close to us, but even community with people perhaps that, uh, as I mentioned before, that we've lost track of, old friends. And because I had this sort of space and capacity, uh, a really good friend of mine that I grew up, uh, long story short, I was growing growing up in Minneapolis. We moved to a dairy farm in Wisconsin when I was six years old, first grade. And then I lived there on the dairy farm for uh, nine years through ninth grade. And then we uh, sold the farm and came back to Minnesota. But that group of students that I had from grades 1 through 9, there was 30 of us. And um, in the last five years or so, we've reconnected. And we've reconnected. Uh, Around March Madness in March, we get over to a place in Hudson and we just hang out together and watch college basketball. But it's not really watching college basketball. It's just hanging out and just catching up with each other. And for the longest time, I ignored it. A number of years. But five years ago, I just felt God saying, Craig, you got to reconnect with, because those are the classmates I'm really close to, not the ones so much in Minnesota. So uh, one of my best friends growing up, Joe Kuzlik, and I've shared some stories about him. But Joe, uh, his dad died. Jack Kuzlick, and one of the hardest working men I've ever met. And this, this, you know, iron steel farmer, worked so hard. And our families were very close growing up, the Kuzlicks and the cases. And Joe and I are the same age. My brother and their uh, uh, older son were best friends as well. We did a lot of stuff together. And Joe's dad died, and the funeral was on a Monday. And I, unfortunately, I would say, to much of my embarrassment, I probably wouldn't have gone. I'd have been busy with other things. And it was way over in uh, River Falls. And I said, Joe, I'll be there. So I went to the funeral. And not only did Joe appreciate that, but seeing his mom, haven't seen her in 30 years. And, um, and the last time she saw me, I think, again, it was in ninth grade. And I was, a, I was the runt in my class. I was very small. I didn't grow until my senior year. And she just looks up at me and says, Boy, you've grown. <laughs> You've grown. I'm like, yeah, Mrs. Kuzlick, I did grow a little bit. And we just had a great time, big hugs and seeing the Kuzlik family. And then also seeing some of my former teachers too. I told a story up to you about Mr. Thomas, my Fayette teacher, that Vince Lombardi-esque kind of guy. Some of you know that story about uh, Mr. Thomas. And Mr. Thomas was there and I haven't seen him since the ninth grade. And he had such a big impact on my life. And uh, Mr. Thomas turned around, and I said, Mr. Thomas. And he looked at me. He said, Kaser. He always called me Kaser. And, and he came over right before the service was about to begin, and we just shook hands and hugged. And I said, Mr. Thomas, I want you to know something. You imparted me in life, life skills in my life. I still carry on to this day. Life skills that I share with my, shared with my kids, life, life skills I share with my church, life skills I share with my students at Bethel when I teach. I just want to thank you so much for being who you are. And he, then he said, What was one example of that? And I said, Well, my brother's senior year, where you guys were undefeated, and uh, my brother was a star running back for that team, and we were heavily favored to go to state and we played uh, Osceola, uh, Wisconsin, in the opening uh, bracket, and Osceola was really good. And uh, we lost 50 to 42 in double overtime. It was crushing. And I remember Mr. Thomas watching at the end of the game, and somehow I saw him. He was like bent down, and he he was his, his head down. Well, the next morning, and this is... Where our school was, I had Fayette at seven thirty in the morning, and Mr. Thomas was our Fayette teacher. He would drive us in the school bus from the school to the soccer fields. He showed up. A Crushing defeat. It was late; it was like midnight when that game got done. Yet he showed up. He followed through. That perseverance I saw in him was one example of life skill. And I said that was one example, Mr. Thomas. And then I said, and I shared some other sayings that he would have, like, "If it's worth doing, do it right." And he said to me, I think you're the only one listening those days, Craig. And I just thanked him so much. And I, looked, I turned over, and there was Mr. Sleep, my biology teacher. And I said, hi, Mr. Sleep. I got a D in your biology class. And he looked at me and said, well-earned. <laughs> I was like, okay, see you later. <laughs> but just spending that time. It was just so enrich. It was so good for me just connecting with those old friends. And I said, you know what? I need to do this more. And I did that with a number of people. Just old friends I had not seen in the longest time. Community is important. And when you have space in your life, uh, that happens. I want you to turn to, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17. And what we see over and over is Jesus really being intentional about community. Because you have to be intentional. You've got to carve out time. And in our schedules doing that, in, in Matthew chapter 20, verse 17, it's simply this. As Jesus was going to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside privately. I just stop right there because we see that phrase over and over and over again. I think I counted 25 of them simply in the Gospel of Matthew where he pulled the disciples aside and he would spend time with them. And I imagine sort of a little bonfire. They're sitting around the bonfire and having a conversation and Jesus sort of imparting his teachings to them, doing life together. And that's community. You've got to be intentional about that. Community is important for us. And another guy, um, actually one of the main friends I spent time with this summer, as you know, I've told many stories. He's actually going to preach here in October. He's a senior pastor at Crossview Covenant in North Mankato. And Brad Jackson and I have been best friends for about 11 years. And he's been there every step of the way in my life and, and me as well for his life. Let's take a look at this picture right here. This is Brad and I golfing. Yeah, it was 100 degrees when we teed off there. I was happy. You can see Brad's look. <laughs> I was dragging along that day. Anyways, a lot of times, Brad and I spent a lot of time on the golf course this summer. And also, I spent a couple of nights staying night at his house and spending time with his kids, Genesis and Trinity. And this family is so dear to me, and Brad is, is one of my best friends. And he's a, a friend who encourages me, holds me accountable, challenges me, and is just one of those guys that I can, I can be myself And it's nice that he's a senior pastor as well because we go through um, uh, some shared challenges. But just an important friend. And um, on this one, you can see here, so he's driving the cart, okay? He's driving the cart because early early in the summer, we were uh, driving along and I was driving the cart. And Brad's really particular about who's driving the cart. But I happened to get there first, so I was driving the cart. And I was driving the cart and I made a turn on hole number nine and made this turn around. And then there was these uh, sort of like guardrails or medians or just concrete blocks. And I wasn't paying attention because one of my friends was teeing off on hole number one, and I turned over and I'm like, hey, John. And, and all of a sudden the cart hits the, the concrete blocks and pretty soon it's on two wheels. <laughs> it's like Dukes a Hazard, And then and, and, and Brad is like just going nuts. I'm like, Brad, we're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And he like jumps out. And I'm just kind of finally landing right there. And he said, okay, Craig, and this is back in early July. You're not driving again. That's it. <laughs> my uh, golf cart license got revoked. Anyways, but, uh, you know, for me, this isn't easy. You, you, might think, you might know me or you might have exchanges with me and think that I'm very individualistic. Again, grew up on a farm. I'm a high achiever. I'm very individualistic. I'm used to doing things on my own. So for me, I just drew a line in the sand and said, you know what? This needs to continue on, continue on with Brad and others. That I'm not going to do life alone. And that's going to have implications for my future in a few different ways. But also community with strangers. That was something that I really learned from now on how important it is to have... have Hospitality to a stranger is when you have an interaction is is a way where you actually become the host and they become the guest, just like you'd have people over to your house. And uh, a few weeks ago, a lot of golf stories, I'm sorry, but a few weeks ago, I was up at Kragans and I got paired with this guy and they had a web.com tournament going on there. So we were stuck on this one, on one of their 18 holes and we had to share carts because they were uh, low in carts. And I got paired with this guy from Minneapolis. And I'm like, oh, I, I really want to be myself. I'll, I'll play golf with him, but I don't, I don't want to share a cart with a complete stranger. And, 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 anyways, they're like, no, that's not going to happen. We don't we have enough carts. We're going to have to share a cart. And this, it just got, kind of got frustrated because as we were playing, this guy just wanted to keep talking. And then he found I was a pastor, so he even had more stuff he wanted to talk about. <laughs> He was a member at Westminster Presbyterian, beautiful church in downtown Minneapolis, and he had a number of questions for me. and, and my game was bad; it was really bad. My golf, my ball is going in the woods. And he's talking. And I'm like, stop talking! I just want to play golf. But then I felt this nudge from God through my readings of Henry Now and also Scripture, like Craig. Forget the game. Forget the game. Forget the score. Put the scorecard away. Be a host. He's your guest. And we had a wonderful conversation. Once that happened, it was like a a shift, a paradigm shift. And he talked about his kids. I talked about my kids. And he works for uh, RBC Capital. And just a a wonderful individual. And uh, we exchanged cards, and we're going to stay in contact. And for me, I I was reminded again by God that, you know what? You just need to listen more, Craig. You need to listen more. And I want to share a quote from Henry Nown about listening. Listening is much more than allowing another to talk while we're waiting for a chance to respond. Okay, for some of us, that's all you need. Okay, listening is much more than waiting for a chance to respond. The beauty of listening is that those who are listened to start feeling accepted. Listening is a form of spiritual hospitality by which you invite strangers to become friends. Because that's what I did the rest of that, that time with, with this guy from Minneapolis. I just listened to asked questions. And, and he asked questions of me as well. But I think I, I lost the art of listening. I was reminded again how important that is for us simply to listen and not have to respond with an anecdote or a story about this or that. Just to listen to what they have to say. Next, one of the things I did this summer is that I memorized Scripture every week. I made it a goal to memorize uh, a passage every week. And you're thinking, well, you're a pa- Yeah, you're a pastor. You do that automatically. But you know what? To actually memorize a verse that, that you're, you're not thinking, of, how can I leverage this into my sermon for this Sunday? Because we fall into that as pastors. We lose the devotional life because we're always thinking about the next Sunday because Sunday's always coming, right? And for me, well, I had this space, this capacity, just to allow God's word to sink into me. And each, each week I had these cards uh, that, the, that the Gregory family gave to me on my birthday, and I brought this everywhere with me, in my golf bag, in my car. And one of those, I'll, I'll share a couple of them. Galatians 2.20, I myself no longer live, but Christ lives within me. This, that, that statement right there. I thought for two weeks just on that statement. I myself no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me. Uh, so I have this, this life I had this life in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God. And it continues, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Then another one, Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, study this book of law continually. Meditate on it day and night so you may be sure to obey all that's written in and Only then will you succeed. And then, of course, Philippians 4, 6-7 that we talk about quite a bit. Don't be anxious about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and tell him thanks for all the good that he's done in your life. And when you do that, you experience God's peace. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. And I love this uh, translation, NLT. As you live in Christ Jesus. So every week was a different verse, a different verse. And it washed over me. Washed over me. And it reminded me again the importance of God's word. Because I believe the Bible is the actual words of God. And we live in a world in a culture where more and more people are looking at this as some simple book of stories or that this book has no relevance in our culture. And I think we have to recapture that the people of God in the day of Jesus actually believed these were the very words of God and in the summer, I was reminded again because as I memorized those, those verses, how I'd be driving or I'd be in a circumstance and, and that verse would just pop in. It's like David said in the Psalms, uh, I have hidden your word in my heart so that it won't sin against you. I want to encourage you the rest of the summer, this fall, to, to memorize one verse a week. And if you need uh, some resources around that, we have navigators and I can get you hooked up with that. And I just want to close with this, Uh, Psalm 19, verses 9 through 10, because this really was, I think, the climax of my summer was God's word just really permeating my life in ways that hadn't happened before. And again, not having to preach on it, just allowing it to really wash over me. And the the, the writer says, the revelation of God is whole and it pulls our lives together. The signposts of God are clear and point out the right road. God's word is better than a diamond. Okay? Better than a diamond. Better than any resource, anything that we think is valuable. It's better than that. And the question I want you to walk away with this morning and wrestle with, do you believe that? Do you believe that God's word is more valuable than anything you have? Because back in the first century, which some of these people that, that were early Christians and had the only copy of the Gospel of John, and the Romans come to, came to them and said, Hand that over or we're going to kill you. And they gave their life so that you and I have the Gospel of John in this book. Okay, these pages are filled not only with stories of people, but people who gave their lives so that we could have this, this Bible that's so valuable, more valuable than a diamond. Better than a diamond set between, between emeralds. You like it better than strawberries in spring, better than red ripe strawberries. And now one says this I'll close this quote The Bible is a spiritual director. People must read scripture as a word for themselves. And my prayer for you this fall, and we're going to be launching a brand new series called Living Beyond Myself, starting next Sunday. I'm going to jump in on Labor Day weekend and, and talk about living beyond ourselves and, and really, in a lot of ways, serving, how we can get, get plugged in. A number of you are not plugged in yet as a volunteer. And I, I want to find ways that you can do that. of you don't know your spiritual gifts yet. And that, that term alone is like foreign to you. And we want to help you find out what that is. So I I pray and hope that you'll join us this fall as we jump in with this series called Living Beyond Ourselves. Let me pray for us this morning. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this community called Maple Grove Covenant Church that is a family to me. In many ways, it's like returning back to a family after a, a long departure. Thank you for their love. Thank you for their support. Thank you for just the number of prayers that people are praying for me, sending me notes and cards at home that they're praying for me. And God, it is so good to be back. It is so good to be back. And what a privilege it is to me to be a part of this community who loves you, loves all people, and wants to make a dent in this world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, everybody said, amen.